chanting Hare Krishna is the beginning of your the end of your trip through the material world. You see, even if you don't, uh, it works so potently that even if you don't have any faith whatsoever, if you're thinking, I don't really believe in this. I don't think it's going to do anything. I'm convinced it's not going to do you any good at all, but I'm going to do it anyway. You still get the benefit. I remember in 1976 we had uh, uh, a big festival in uh, New York City. We had these three gigantic carts, almost the size of this room, and maybe three stories high that we had built. And we put the deities of Krishna and his brother Balaram and his sister Subhadra on, on each one of the deities was on this uh, cart and my guru Srila Prabhupada uh, the author of all these books that we have uh, the translator uh, he rode on the, one of the carts and so we, uh, we went down Fifth Avenue it was the first Rathiatra ever uh, in New York City so, uh, one of the first outside of India. So, the police gave us Fifth Avenue, all the way down Fifth Avenue to uh, Washington Square Park. So, down there we had this big festival we served out, I don't know, maybe 50,000 plates of prashadam, of food, you know, plays, music, uh, all kinds of wonderful things. Then, late at night, we had to take these big carts back to the 63rd Street Pier on Manhattan. Uh, our temple was on 55th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. So we had to get all the way to the uh, 63rd Street Pier where we kept these carts. You know, there's, there's not a lot of space in, in Manhattan, as you, as you know. So there's, that's where we could keep them. They were so big. But the police wouldn't let us go up. They weren't going to give us 5th Avenue. You know, it's like, all right, we gave you 5th Avenue, the whole thing. You know, I don't know if you know much about New York City, but 5th Avenue is the big... You know, it's the, it's where the who's who shop, you know, it's the big uh, avenue. So we had to find side streets to take the cars, carts back and the police were helping us. But there were people along the way that would see all of us, and in those days we were young boys, and we were taking these big carts down these side streets going north on Manhattan. And uh, people would see us and they would think, oh, you crazy people, you're dressed in sheets shaved your head, you look like a bunch of weirdos. You see, there wasn't very much spiritual awareness in 1976. They thought we were completely crazy. Yeah, we were, we were a little bit crazy. We were crazy for this Krishna. <laughs> so, but anyway, some of the people, uh, they would see us, and they, they, they'd seen us on the street before, and they would make fun of us. They would say, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. <laughs> Making fun. Some people were nice, some people weren't nice at all. So when we got uh, back, it was late at night, we got back to the temple, and Srila Prabhupada was still up. He hadn't taken rest yet, it was very late. But he wanted to know, what was it like bringing the carts back, you know? So we said, oh, it was wonderful, you know. But some people were very... Uh, not so nice. They were making fun of us. And Prabhupada said, uh, yes, how? Oh, they were chanting Hare Krishna like, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Making fun. And Prabhupada said, yes, they're making great advancement. 
So then later that, or, uh, that year in India, in Mayapur, India, I heard Prabhupada say in one of his classes that if someone has chanted this Hare Krishna Maha Mantra one time, uh, liberation is not far. So soon that could be two, three lives, five lives, could be this lifetime, that you will, you will escape the, uh, the merry-go-round of birth and death, coming back, taking the body, you see. So um, this Krishna consciousness is a process to escape the repeated cycle of birth and death. Now some people say, well, I don't believe in reincarnation. So you're entitled, you have free will, you can believe. Sometimes people don't believe in reincarnation because it's got a negative connotation to it. You know, I remember when I was in school, uh, seems like a hundred years ago, <laughs> they actually had schools when I was young. Uh, my teacher was teaching us about India. It was geography, I think. I don't know what class it was. And she was saying that, you know, tell me how crazy the people were in India. They're such idiots. You know, first of all, they don't eat cows and they're all starving. So they're stupid because they're starving to death and they let the cows run free. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, they must be really stupid. All, the, all, the whole country starving to death and they won't eat uh, the cows. And she said, and they believe in reincarnation. Well, what's that? Well, they believe that one time they were a dog. You don't believe you were ever a dog, do you children? And we all went, no, Mrs. Smith, you know. Well, that's just crazy, you see. So uh, later on uh, in my 20s, after pursuing different spiritual avenues, I came in contact with Krishna's devotees. And one of them asked me, did I accept reincarnation? And I immediately thought of what Mrs. Smith was saying. I said, no. <laughs> well, all right. You've experimented with spiritual life. Can you accept transmigration of the soul? And I said, what do you mean by that? Well, the soul transmigrates from body to body, birth to birth. And I said, well, no, that makes sense. So, you know, a rose by any other name still smells the same. So, uh, the soul transmigrates body after body after body. Some people would rather believe that it came into existence uh, at conception. In other words, before that you did not exist. Can you even imagine? One life. One life. One life. You didn't exist, then all of a sudden the lights are turned on, you're like a machine. And all of a sudden, you put the batteries in the machine and you're like this, you know. You have one life to get it right. And at the end of that life, then you go to an eternal heaven or an eternal hell. You see? And I had trouble dealing with that. Uh, I believe the Christian philosophy is correct. Uh, I don't believe it's presented properly. I uh, believe in Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he was uh, here to save the world because he was a devotee of his father. And his, one of his father's names is Krishna. You see, Krishna has many unlimited uh, expansions or let's say emanations, personalities. So, uh, but from my Christian upbringing I couldn't, uh, I had a hard time dealing with some of the philosophy until I thought about it. You see, so I, I was like many, I was shopping around, you know, 
I thought, well, I, I believe in God, and I believe in Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I believe in a lot, but there's a lot of it that I have asked so many questions when I was a kid in Sunday school. And I was one of those kids that, you know, the, the teacher hated to see come in because I, I was curious. I'd say, well, what about, you know, they would say, well, look, there are just some things we just aren't meant to know. And, you know, I didn't like that. Even when I was six or seven, eight years old, I didn't like that. I thought, well, I don't know. I just don't, it doesn't give me a, leave a good taste in my mouth of this God person, you know. I can feel... Um, kind of warm and fuzzy to Lord Jesus Christ, but what about the Father? You know, we admit there is God the Father. What about this guy? He didn't sound like he was in a very good mood as I read the, the Bible. You know, sometimes people ask me, who is this Krishna? And I say, well, he's the same God as you read about in the Old Testament, uh, Testament but he's just in a much better mood. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, no, he, He's not as uh, uh, upset uh, or whatever, you know. I mean, he isn't like that. I don't mean to sound blasphemous. I hope not a, no. No, you don't take it as an offense, but he doesn't sound like he's in a very, yeah. you know. It, so in other words, we want to learn to love God. How do you do that? You know, how do you, how do you approach this guy? You know, well, forget him, just go through Christ. Well, hold it now. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which I never could understand. I do now, but I wanted to know. What about God the Father? It was so difficult to find out any real information, except don't cross it. You know, or you will be sorry. So I started to roam, you know, uh, and go from... Uh, uh, philosophy to philosophy and um, in the last 40 years since I've been experimenting with spiritual life actually I, I stopped experimenting but uh, there's been a lot of people do the same thing and there's even a name for it for that it's called the uh, the bumblebee the bumblebee philosopher in other words the bumblebee will go from uh, maybe it's honeybee I'm not sure but We'll go from flower, take a little nectar, to this flower, take a little nectar, and go to this flower, and sip a little bit, you see. So the bumblebees, or the honeybee philosophers, they're sipping a little bit of everything. So uh, uh, now let's change gears and let me ask you. It, let's say that you wanted to go to, uh, uh, what is it, Bhakti Fest that you went to? That, in, that was in California, wasn't it? All right, so you want to go to California, and uh, you don't have a car that's going to make it. So you need a car that will get you there and back without breaking down. You see, so you're in the market for a decent car. And I say, well, hey, I've got a car. I'll sell you. I'll give you a good price on it. And you say, oh, really? Well, what kind of car is it? Well, it's one I made myself. You know, I used... Uh, like for the engine, I used some Honda parts and some Toyota parts, a couple of Chevy things. It's got a, a Cadillac door on the rear end, and it's got a, a Ford hood, and it's got you know, a couple of tires from a Lexus, a couple of tires from a Kia. Is there a Kia? No, what is it? Yeah. Okay, you know, Hyundai, it's got some Hyundai parts. It's got parts of the transmission are Hyundai and 
parts of it are, I don't know, something from GM, but I put it all together. And uh, would you trust that to get you out to California? Doesn't sound like, like it's a good bet, does it? But I assure you, these are all bona fide manufacturers. Now, what happens if you were to do like that? If you were to take, you know, little pieces of a, of a car, put them together, you may have quality parts, but they're not going to all fit and work together, especially in the engine. You may have a valve that doesn't fit the tolerances that it should, one that does, carburation is not going to be quite right, everything is not going to be balanced. It's not going to, they're not, all the parts won't complement each other like if you bought a Chevy or a Lexus or like that, you see. So, uh, how can we, uh, and I'm just throwing it out to, to get people's mind, I get people to think, that's my job. How can we say that we will, uh, whereas we wouldn't trust a car like that to take us to California, but yet I'll rest on a philosophy made of a little bits and pieces, you know, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, uh, and I'll, I'll, tr I'll trust that to take me this journey to liberation doesn't really make sense you see doesn't make sense so uh, what I ask people is pick something you see become expert at something get to know something uh, if Krishna consciousness appeals to you then that's very good if you say well no I think I would rather I would prefer to Follow this path or that path. Well, that's very good. Become expert. Get your PhD. You know, go all the way with it. I mean, this is the biggest journey you're ever going to take. You're going to escape this cycle of birth, death, birth, death. Every time you take birth, you have to face disease and old age. Birth comes first. There's some disease or, you know, then there's old age. And then death, followed by another birth. You see? In the material world, things have a tendency to appear, the bodies. They linger for some time. They produce some byproducts. They dwindle and disappear. Now that applies to everything. Everything. Even the rocks. Even the rocks are going away. This is affected by kala. Uh, Sanskrit, this word kala means time. You see, now this world was uh, an expansion. It was it, it's the energy of Krishna. You see, now everything that in the Ishopanishad it says that it, everything that comes from the Lord, because He is complete, is complete in and of itself. Everything that expands from Him, so this material energy is also perfect in its own way. And it would last forever if he didn't come personally as Kala, as time. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, time I am, destroyer of worlds. Krishna has come to destroy this world, to give it a duration, you see. Otherwise, it would just go on, you see. Our bodies wouldn't dwindle, you see. So he has given us this world to travel through uh, to look for something better than him, you see, because, uh, and we've said this before, he's very romantic, and he gives you a choice. 
He wants you to have free will. You see? In, uh, in the matter of love, if there isn't free will, if you don't have the ability to decide you want to leave, you're not a lover. You're a prisoner. Uh, Krishna doesn't have any taste for that. Although, he could say, well, you're not going anywhere. You're staying right here with me. And you're going to enjoy it. You see. Now, for some living entities, they may say, wonderful, Krishna, please, always keep me. Don't ever let me fall away. But see, for those who may say, well, I don't know if I like that. Krishna wants to give you, for his taste, he wants to taste romance. Krishna is the supreme romantic. He's the supreme lover. And along with love comes romance. And he wants to taste it at every minute. It's such a sweet, wonderful taste to be loved, totally loved, and to be chosen to be loved, not forced. So there is no other choice but Krishna. There truly isn't. But he went into our, our soul and he made a little adjustment to override the intelligence. By intelligence we can tell there is no other choice. Krishna is the supreme. He's the most wonderful. He's the most attractive. He's everything. It's sweet. It's, it's, uh, he's the most desirable. You know, this love that I have with Krishna is just cannot be equaled by anything. But Krishna, to taste romance, wants to give you a choice. So he gives you free will. You see? He dials that into your psyche. So that you can actually say to him, you know what, I think I'd like to see what else there is. And Krishna says, okay, very good. If that's what you like. I have a whole world that you can go and travel through and look. You know, if you look through the spiritual world, you wouldn't find anything that equaled Krishna. Nor in the material world. But in the material world, it can be yours. Or at least in your head. You, know, you can think, this is mine. Oh, I own this. This is mine. Well, did you bring it with you when you came, when you took birth? Well, no, but it's mine now. Well, where did the energy come from? What is that exactly? This is Krishna. Everything emanates from God. That is his energy. It's not mine. You see? I am his. Nothing belongs to me. But I can come here and I can lay proprietorship to so many things I can have. Oh, so much land. I can accumulate wealth. You know, I could steal a little from you and a lot from him and all of yours maybe. And I can convince people that I'm going to do good but not do so good and gather money. I can sell products and make promises that it's going to do so much for you but it doesn't and I don't care because I get your money. You see, I accumulate wealth and I start to lay proprietorship. The more wealth I get, the greater my proprietorship. Just see how much I own. Just see how powerful I am. I have so much money. You see, I have so much fame. People adore me because I give them jobs or I, I give them money. I give them some enjoyment. You see, I used to know people that were uh, uh, drug dealers back in the 70s. And they uh, always had lots of friends. 
because they dealt a lot of uh, LSD and stuff like that, you know, so people were, were coming around and they would give them a little bit. So everybody loved them. Everybody thought, oh, this nicest guy in town. Here's a little taste, you know, I'd like some more. Oh, you know, it's going to cost you. And, oh, okay, sure. You see, so, so much. And these were, they were, some of them were somewhat wealthy, so they could afford it. So they had adoration. They were adored by people. You see, people wanted to go there because I can enjoy by going to his house. And, uh, and I feel really good because I know this person. He's like real famous and he's wealthy. He has so much, so many nice drugs. And the material world seems to work like that, you see. So, um, anyway, we get tangled up in this material world with our proprietorship and our desires. I want, I want, I want, I want more. Even when we take on a, a, a simpler lifestyle, we still want more, you see. I want to be this, I want that. So how do we overcome this desire to want something. See, these desires are what lead us, uh, and we don't realize it, but they're leading us down this path that we're traveling through the material world. You see, at the time of death, the sum total of all your desires determine your next birth. You see, whatever you want, you're given a body. It's not punishment. It, was, it took me a while to get over uh, the thought that God is punishing me. He's not punishing. He's saying, what do you want? What's that? Oh, here it is, time of death. Sum total of everything you want. Let me give you a body that you can have that. You see? And then you go to this body. And it may be the body of, a, of an animal that has a certain kind of senses that will give you a certain sensory pleasure that you desire. You see? And I've used different examples. You know, it's just like, uh, and I'll, uh, I'll say again, if I bore you, that's, uh, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I have to use these examples again sometimes. Because uh, some of you may not have heard them, but for, uh, this is a, it's crude, but it's, it's true, and it, it's illustrative. Uh, if somebody is governed by the desire for sex life, you see, at the time of death, that's what they want. They feel like, ah, that's what I missed out on. I needed a more sex life, you see. Well, the human body is not a very good body to enjoy sex life. Now, people sometimes think, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Enjoy sex. But there are so many bodies uh, in the animal kingdom to where you can enjoy sex life on a much higher level than human beings, you see. Because uh, one example would be like a monkey, you know. Uh, my guru gives the example of the pigeon. The pigeon can have sex every 10 minutes, all day, every day. You see, doesn't have to marry the lady pigeon, doesn't have to make any promises, doesn't have to take her out. You know, no drinks and a movie and dinner. Don't, no promises, I'll call you tomorrow, you know, no marriage. If she's impregnated, then you don't have to worry about palimony or anything like that. You don't even have to get a room. You just perform the act and go on to the next one. And it's all okay, you see. The whole rest of the world, it's going on. Nobody notices. 
And that's what pigeons love to do. And some people may say, yes, but pigeons don't enjoy it as much as human beings. And if you think again, use intelligence. Uh, our senses are not as, uh, as uh, good. It's not, not as developed as the animals, you see. Animals have, uh, a dog has a hundred times the sense of smell than a human being. Smell, taste are equaled. Their taste, when they taste something, they get more of a taste than we can experience. They can hear sounds we can't even hear. You blow a dog whistle, we can't hear it. The dog's like, huh? They can hear. They can see. An eagle can read the headline of a newspaper a mile away. He can fly, you know, tremendously high and see fish. The eagle can see the fish close to the surface, you see. And he can swoop down and grab them, you see. Yeah. Like most eagles, they eat mainly fish. They live close to lakes and things like that, and they're expert at that. Uh, so hearing, their sense of touch, you know, they can, they, they can touch, they feel touch much greater than a human being, you see. So um, we can't think that we uh, have a higher enjoyment of really anything <coughs> material. The human, the senses of, of the human body are, are really less than most of the animal kingdom, you see. But the mind is bigger. Our part, our, uh, we have a part in our brain that will allow us to ask questions that are very hard to answer. Is there life after death? Oh, is there a God? What's this God like? What does he want from me? You know, who am I? Who is this world? Who are you? How do we relate? What's this all about? You see? Is there an escape from this? Do I want to escape? So the human beings, uh, this body that you're given as a human being uh, is an opportunity to, to step out of being dominated by the senses. The senses are always wanting. And they're never really satisfied. Maybe just for, you know, you can eat and eat and eat. They go, oh, that's enough. Oh, I've had it. You know, someone says, oh, okay, how about dessert? Oh, no, I'm, I'm full. What do you have? <laughs> no, it's nice ice cream. Uh, maybe I could do the ice cream. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> so the tongue says, ah, give me more. And the stomach's like, oh, no, come on. I, give me enough to deal with already. I don't need any more. You see, so uh, the senses, material desires are never satisfied. It may seem like we, have, we reach that point, but then it all, always comes back. You see, we want, again... By the way, if you have any questions or comments, stop me at any time. So, uh, so we have these senses that are always trying to get us to do something. You know, I want to do this, I want to enjoy that, you see. And then once in a while, uh, after we've traversed this material world enough, the living entities take on some sort of a, uh, a spiritual awareness. You know, and I, I always use the example of, uh, uh, has everyone seen this movie, um, Wizard of Oz? It's old, I think. Remember towards the end, when Dorothy found, she went back to the, what, the Emerald, what was it? Emerald City. She was going to see the wizard. And she's seeing this head of the wizard up there, this great, magnificent Oz. 
and he's talking to her and she happened to notice there was a man over here behind the curtain operating these controls. You know, you remember that part? And the wizard said, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. But she realized, wait a minute, you're the wizard. You're making this whole illusion. So she, had, she saw through the illusion. You know, so spiritually minded people start to see through the illusion. We notice the man behind the curtain and all of a sudden, this story that you're trying to tell me of the material world just doesn't fit. It doesn't really add up. You know, fool me once, uh, shame on, on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Is that how it goes? Mm -hmm. You see. So in other words, wait a minute, I think I'm seeing through this just to take birth, enjoy, 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 uh, eating, sleeping, mating, defending, eventually dying. There's got to be more to that than this, you see. Uh, what do we have different from the animals? Reasoning. Exactly. We can reason. Other than that, we're just like them in that we all eat, sleep, mate, and defend, you see. I'm looking for something to eat. Then I'm looking for, now after I've eaten, I need a place to sleep. Uh, then I need to mate. I have this desire to mate. And now that I have someone to mate with, something to eat, and some shelter, I need to defend it. You know, that's, uh, it seems to be more noticeable in the animal kingdom, but it's really happening in, in the humans as well. You know, people will, unfortunately, there are people who would take whatever you have, you see. So, um, the person who has wandered in this material world long enough is starting to ask these very valuable questions. Is there a path? Is there a way to get out of here? You see. So, uh, yes. There are, there are different paths to take you to different destinations, you see. It depends on what you want. And we've used, huh, thank you, thank you for coming. We've used the example before of, uh, uh, let's say someone says to you, hey, let's go on a trip. You know, remember we talked about that? Let's take a trip. You know, hey, we've got some time off. Let's, let's go someplace. What's the first thing you think? Can I have the time? What if you, you got the time? Yeah. The first thing is, oh yeah, let's go somewhere. Hey, where? Now, the destination depends on what you want when you get there. One of you may say, uh, let's say the two of you are planning a trip, and you're thinking of sun and surf and getting a good tan, you know, being by the ocean. Can you tell? Snorkeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's thinking about mountains and snow and skiing and, you know. Well, you, the destination has to be different unless you can compromise, you see. So to figure out a destination, you have to figure out, what do I want? What do I desire? What will make me feel uh, satisfied spiritually, you see. Then, once we know what, we figure out where do we find it. Now that we know where to find it, we have a destination that will give us what we want. 
then we choose a path that will take us there. Very simple. Now what happens to a lot of us in the material world is we stumble across paths because we're not educated, we're, we're spiritually naive in many ways. We don't know what to look for. We don't know what destinations are available. So I find a path and it looks like it's really great and I start to follow that path. And I, I, you know, I, I, this is all I do, I travel and, and talk with, with people, uh, spiritually minded people. And I ask them, this is very wonderful, you're on a spiritual path. Where's this going to take you? Well, uh, uh, well, I, I, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, I get liberation. Oh, okay, wonderful. What's that going to be like? What are you going to do when you get there? You know, it's like if you're going to Miami, you already have an idea what you're going to do. I'm going to check into the hotel, put on my bathing suit, and I'm going to hit the beach. Or if you're going to Vail, I'm going to check into the hotel, put on my ski suit, and hit the slopes. You have a plan, you see. Or maybe some people might want to go to Las Vegas, you know. I'm going to go clubbing for three days without sleeping. Whatever. But the traveler generally knows what they're going to do when they get to the destination, and you'd be surprised how many spiritual trekkers uh, really don't know. Well, this is exactly what I'm going to be doing when I get there. You see, we're so desperate to get out of this place, to get out of this material world, we grab a path. You see, you know, it's just like if you're drowning and throwing, someone throws you a rope, you don't take the time to think, okay, where's this rope going to take me? It's just going to get me out of the water. You know, so you grab it. You know, you know, it's so. Uh, it's like that with our spiritual trek. Uh, my job uh, as a service to Guru and Krishna is to let people know a particular destination uh, and to let people know the activities that uh, we perform when you get there. And this destination that, uh, that I'm talking about is called Goloka Brindavan. It's the, uh, if you could look at the spiritual world uh, and great, um, great yogis who have been able to meditate and actually not enter into the spiritual world, but actually see it from a distance, have said uh, that the writings in the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Upanishads are all correct, that the spiritual world looks like the world of a lotus flower. You know, you ever see a lotus flower? It's got a center and the, uh, the petals go out like that. It's like an unlimited lotus flower, and there are unlimited spiritual planets, unlimited destinations to go to. You see, Krishna is so potent that he is unlimited. God is, you could not put any limits on God whatsoever. You see. So you have a different, unlimited uh, type of relationship. So there's unlimited places to go depending on what you want. You gotta have, that's really important information. What do you want, you see? Uh, to go to Krishna's planet, Goloka Vrindavan, which is the, the world, the center of the world of the lotus flower, of the spiritual world, you've got to uh, develop love for it. You see, Krishna is the source of love. 
which happens to be the greatest force. The one who possesses the most love is the strongest. Now in the material world we think, well, the one who has the most bombs or the biggest army or more bullets, but uh, Krishna is the source of love. Not all of us uh, have suffered enough in this material world to, to determine that that's really what's missing in my life. This thing that aches in my chest is that I don't think that I am loving or being loved to the fullest. There's a little something missing, you see. Now we may interpret that feeling, that emptiness, as so many things. But you can, you can, you can do an exercise with yourself, you know, which would, uh, uh, well, I'm sure everybody here has felt unloved at one time or another. Is it, has anybody not ever felt unloved? No, we've all felt it. Now, how did that feel? Really rotten, wasn't it? Horrible. Probably on a scale of one to ten, one being the lowest, it was a one. I mean, it's like the worst you ever felt. You know? So, feeling unloved is really really horrible to us spiritual entities. We are spiritual entities. We're not human beings. We're not human beings searching for a spiritual experience. We think we are, but we're not. We're spiritual beings, and temporarily we're searching for a human experience. But you can't change what you are. You're an eternal spiritual being that had no beginning, has no end. And your nature is to be eternal, full of knowledge, to know everything, and to feel constantly blissful. In Sanskrit, that's called sat-chit-ananda. Sat, eternal, chit, full of knowledge, and ananda, always blissful. To get bliss, you've got to have love. And you can figure that out. Think in your mind, what if, if someone says, look, I'll write you a check for $50 billion. Well, I'll, I'll give you the cash. I'll give you the cash right now. But you will never feel love in your life. You'll never love anything, and nothing or anybody, not even a dog, will ever love you. Would you take it? What if someone said, well, I can give you, I have mystic, mystic powers, and I can give you, I'll let you live to be age 90, but you'll never be loved by anything. Or I'll let you live to be age 50, and you'll experience the highest love every minute of your life. Would you take that deal? You see? So we're starting to understand how important love is to us. Real, real love. Not temporary love. Huh? Not conditional love. You see? True love. Real, true love comes from Krishna. If you want to experience the highest love, it's called Krishna Prem. 
Krishna Prema. Huh? That's the highest love. If you want to experience that, then you have to associate with Krishna. Now, if you say, well, I don't really care so much about love, you know, I'd like to have a relationship with God in the form of awe and reverence. I want him to be the big God, you know, sitting on a throne, worshipped in great awe reverence. So when I see him, I'll be awe-stricken. I'll fall down at his feet, at his beauty and his opulence. Well, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. If that's your desire, Lord Narayan, Krishna appears as Lord Narayan. Um, uh, and this is just one of billions of appearances like that. And Lord Narayan is very beautiful to see him. You know, it's, it's charming, but he's opulent. He is every bit God. When you see him, you know you're seeing God, you see. But he's not so approachable because of his reverence and his greatness. So there are different forms of God and they're all really magnificent. But to uh, experience true love that we're talking about, you've got to be able to approach. You've got to be able to touch, to embrace, to hold hands, to exchange sweet words, sweet loving relationship. You know, to have that feeling that, um, you know, I love you so much, my dear Lord, that I, I don't even want to blink my eyes. And for a split second, I won't be able to see your beautiful, loving face. You see? Now, to get that close uh, and to have that kind of love, you've got to get over the God issue. If you think of this object of your love, of your uh, unlimited love, as God, that'll trip you up. There's a little bit of awe in there. So to go to Krishna's planet, Krishna, uh, Krishna Loka, the Loka Vrindavan, you've got to fall so much in love with Krishna that you forget that he's God. You see? You've got a desire to love him and to have a loving exchange with him to the point that in your mind, he's no longer God. In Krishna's abode, he is not God. Now, he is, but nobody knows about it. There is no necessity for God. All you know is that we're just drowning in this ocean of wonderful love for this wonderful Krishna. He is just so sweet. He tells wonderful jokes. He plays tricks on you. You know, he may trick you. He may tell you something that's not true. And then when you figure out the joke, he'll laugh. And then you feel like, okay, I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to do the same thing. You trick him. And then the two of you roll around and laugh. And you see, it's like, oh, Krishna, you know. To, to have, to experience this ex, uh, extreme love, the ultimate love, You've got to be able to come a, become a little angry at your lover. You see? You will become angry at Krishna. He'll see to that. He'll make you angry. He'll do things that will make you angry at him and you'll chastise him. And he'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. You were so wonderful and so sweet. 
you know. And I'm using you to have fun. And then you, out of the sweet word, you start to melt and say, oh, Krishna, you're so wonderful. You know, you see. To have this deep loving exchange, you can't be dealing with someone you perceive as God. So, uh, whereas we know Krishna is the supreme source of all sources, you've got to give it up. You've got to give up the God issue to approach him. I mean, and it's a gradual process. We think of Krishna, the devotees of Krishna, we think of him as God. But as we get to know him, and as our love grows, that starts to fade, you see. So let me ask a question. Does anybody think it's possible to conquer God? Ever thought about that? Is it possible to conquer the supreme controller? Hmm? Actually, yes. What do you conquer the supreme controller with? The supreme weapon, pure love. He is conquered by love. You can love him to the point that he becomes your humble, surrendered servant. And because you love him, you're not going to say, okay, I'm taking over, you see. When the love is deep enough, the trust is so uh, deep, uh, you can overcome him by your love. You can love him to the point that he will submit to you. It's just like the story we were talking How are we doing on time, by the way? What time is it? It's uh, quarter after six. Ten minutes. Okay. We were talking about uh, Tuesday, that story of Lord Damodar, Krishna. One of Krishna's names is Damodar. And Damodar means one who is tied with a rope. Wow. So, uh, Krishna has these loving pastimes. Um, one uh, great devotee had the desire to be his mother. I'd like, I'd li I'd like to, to have a loving mother-child relationship with Krishna. You see, so Krishna uh, appeared as uh, her child. She didn't know he was God. All she knew is that she had Krishna and he's just wonderful. So uh, this Krishna is uh, naughty. He's very naughty, you know. He's not the kind of guy like we're talking about in the Old Testament that's ready to fry you in any minute. You know, he's just naughty. He likes to have fun. <laughs> Think about it. If you were God, would you ever have a moment where you're not having great fun? Like most kids. Huh? Like most kids. Yeah, like most kids, you know. I mean, you know, God wants the party to never end. He doesn't have to. We're always going to have fun. So... He was very naughty. He would go into the neighbors, and uh, this is 5,000 years ago when he appeared on this planet, and he would go in, into, uh, actually this, this, this pastime never ends. It's always happening in the spiritual world. But he would steal the, uh, the butter and the yogurt. Uh, people would churn yogurt uh, and um, churn butter, and they would keep it hanging from the rafters in their storeroom. So he would steal it he and his brother, and they would eat it and feed it to the monkeys. And then when people would say, Krishna, did you steal that butter? He would say, no. Look him right in the eye and lie. 
no, I didn't. Me? You know, he was so charming that they didn't want him. But they're thinking, but you must have. Nobody else could do this, but you, it must have been you. So finally they went, uh, and the neighbors, and they approached his mother, Mother Yashoda, and they said, you know, Mother Yashoda, you've got to do something about this Krishna. He's just so sweet and wonderful, but he keeps stealing our yogurt and our butter. And, you know, so Mother Yashoda, she had chased him down and she'd spanked him with a switch and it didn't work. So she decided, the only thing I can do is tie him up. He's just, he's so naughty. I, I'm going to have housework that I have to do. I can't stay there every minute. And so she caught him and she's going to tie him to a grinding stone, a wooden grinding stone, very heavy, you know. So she tied the rope to the grinding stone and she goes to wrap it around Krishna and she goes to tie the knot and it was two fingers too short. So she's, oh, well, let me see. So she got another rope and she tied that rope on and she wrapped it around, I've got you this time, and it was two fingers short. And she went all through the house and got all the ropes she could find and started tying them together. Every time it's two fingers too short. And she's bewildered by this. She borrowed ropes from the neighbors. They said, what do you need with all this rope? She said, I'm going to tie up Krishna. I have to tie Krishna. And the neighbors thought, oh, I want to see this. So they're all gathered around. They're watching what you showed her. Tie these ropes. And every time it would be two fingers too short. And they're all bewildered by this because they're, none of them are thinking that this is the Supreme Godhead. He's just this cute Krishna. He's wonderful. He's beautiful. And so she's struggling harder and harder to do this. And Krishna's looking at her. And he can see how intent, the love that she has for him. The flowers are starting to fall from her hair. The combs that she used to keep her hair were falling. And she's struggling, struggling. But she couldn't tie him. So what did he do? He surrendered. My dear devotee, you were trying to love me in this way. And he surrendered and let her tie him up. See, out of love. So, out of love, we can conquer Krishna, but it has to be love. You can't conquer him with might. You can't outsmart him. You see, you can't outdo him. But you can love him. You can purify your love to the point that he becomes uh, submissive to you. First, we surrender to him. And then he ends up ultimately surrendering to us. Between lovers, there is mutual surrender. You see, true love means two parties becoming vulnerable to one another and surrendering out of love and trust and faith. You see. So, all right. I think we need to we need to wrap up. Any questions, comments? I just have a question about the. Karti. Yeah. That's this month. It started Tuesday. What is it? We're, we're uh, remembering this pastime of uh, Krishna being tied by his mother. And we sing this nice prayer every day and offer a candle to Krishna. And we usually put him uh, on the altar. We put a picture of Krishna struggling as his mother ties him up. This Damodar. You see. Actually, as we pursue Krishna, first of all, we want liberation to get out of this material world. Why? Because it's the best thing for me. The worst thing for me to do would be stay here. So we find a path 
that will take us out of this material world because that's the best path for me. But if we come in contact with this Krishna, we start to grow our love for him to the point that we no longer care about us. You see. In other words, we say, my dear Lord, if I can just always remember you and never forget you, I don't, I don't really have any need for liberation. I am liberated. Now, at the time of death, I may go back, but I'll be doing the same thing when I go to uh, Goloka Vrindavan as I'm doing here, worshiping you and serving you. You see. So this month of Karti, uh, uh, it's a sweet month. Every, every spiritual activity that's performed from Tuesday, which was the full moon, to the next full moon uh, is multiplied a thousand times. It's a very special time. So until the next full moon, performing spiritual activity, you get many, many blessings. Even if your destination isn't to Krishna, you may say, well, you know what? I don't know if I want to get up close and personal with God. You know, uh, I'd rather worship and enjoy his energy. You know, I don't want to, I don't want him to even have a form before my eyes, you know. I don't want to get that close. So there is the uh, Brahma Jyoti, the impersonal realization, where we merge into the light. That's real. It exists. But if you think about it, what does it give you compared to what you can have with personal, uh, unmitigated love with Krishna? It's your choice. You have free will. So, all right. I think we should wrap it up, huh, Rob? Thank you all so much.